0: The Ask Anatomist podcast is co-sponsored by the Faculty of Medicine, Nursing, and Health Sciences at Monash University and by the American Association for Anatomy. Ask Anatomist presents A Bone to Pick. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Lazarus, an associate professor in the Center for Human Anatomy Education, in the Faculty of Medicine, Nursing, and Health Sciences at Monash University. On this episode, we interview Lillian Plotkin on bones and osteoporosis. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Would you take a moment to introduce yourself?
1: My name is Lillian Plotkin. I'm an Associate Professor of Anatomy and Cell Biology at Indiana University School of Medicine. You may infer by my accent, I was not born here. I was born in Argentina. I came to the States 21 years ago as a postdoc, and I've been working on bone biology, that is trying to understand how osteoporosis occurs for the last 21 years.
0: Would you please describe to us your field and why it matters to the broader audience?
1: We try to understand how the cells in bone work, how they make the bone How bone becomes stronger and how that different diseases and aging affects our bones. And as you may know, with aging, we have increases in fractures, not only because people fall more, but also because the bones are weaker. So with the aging of the population, people are living longer and these fractures are manifesting more. We're seeing more people fracturing. And there's some studies that show that if you have a hip fracture, your lifespan could decrease. Not because of the hip fracture itself, because there are a lot of complications that come after that. So again, people are living longer. Women post-menopause also have a big impact on their bone health. And because women are living a lot longer after they undergo menopause, that's becoming a more and more importance for everybody.
0: How does your research address these major
1: issues related to hip fractures and the aging population? I work all the way from the molecules that form the bone cells. We try to understand how the bone cells work and how they make the bone, how bone structure is made. And then how aging will affect that bone structure and the cells and the molecules. So by looking at all these things, the cells that we can get from the animals or we can get them from cells that have been generated and uh, what we call immortalized, so they live forever, we can look at what things are changing in those cells and we can go to the animals and see whether those things are changing in the animals. If we modify those, how that will impact the bone. And the ultimate objective is to try to produce drugs that will interfere with those pathways that are affected in the cells and that can lead to bone loss or increased fragility.
0: So when we look at a bone, we think it's just a single structure, but it's actually made up of
1: multiple cell types and molecules. How many? What do they look like? The main cells that make the bone are two. The osteoblasts, these are the cells that can make the bone. They will lay down proteins and then later become mineralized, so that forms the structure of the bone. But bone is being modified, and it's thought that 10% of the bone is modified each year. So in 10 years, you get a new skeleton. That's the general idea. And so to maintain this structure, we have the other cells, the osteoclasts, and these are the cells that remove the bone. So the concerted actions of these two cells, osteoblasts and osteoclasts, lead to an optimal bone structure and ultimately health. Now, these are the two cells are on the bone surface, where the bone is laid down. Inside the bone, we have the third cell type. People used to think that they were just there, surrounded by bone. These are the osteocytes. Now, we know that the osteocytes are very active, and they actually control the activity of the osteoblasts and the osteoclasts. So, they can produce signals that we call for an osteoblast when they feel the need for more bone to be made. And they can also call osteoclast when they feel that the bone that was made was not good enough. So, the osteoclast will come and will remove it. Now, we have a lot of diseases where things go wrong. And things can go wrong from the osteoblast side or from the osteocyte side. So, all these changes in the balance will lead to more bone being removed than being formed. And then you have bone loss. We also have diseases with the opposite where either because osteoclasts don't work or osteoblasts work too much, you have too much bone. And there are a couple of genetic diseases that have been found in humans. And there's a funny fact that because these people have so much bone, the bones are so heavy, they cannot swim. They just sink because of the weight of the bones. They don't seem to have much of a defect. They just have bigger bones, and stronger bones.
0: So there literally is a population that are big boned. Yes. So... Many of us perceive bones as just static structures, but they're actually very dynamic. There's a lot of changeover and populations of cells that are responsible for that. And if we can understand them better, we can potentially harness that understanding to help those that are suffering from fractures.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And one great example of that is a protein that is made by the osteocyte. And the protein is called sclerostin. And this protein was discovered probably fifteen years ago. And they discovered this because there were two groups of people in South Africa that have these big skulls. This is an inherited defect. And the problem these people have they have a lot of bone growth. They will the bone will grow and we blocked the nerves that go through the spinal cord. So they have headaches, they have that kind of complication. So they start studying this. Two populations and they're actually in South Africa, but the origin of these people is from the Netherlands, and they have mutations in this gene that encodes for this protein sclerosine that makes it inactive. So they discovered that so there's a protein that made by osteocytes in bone that when it's not there, it makes the bone to grow very fast and a lot. What they found is that what this protein does is to block the activity and the differentiation of the osteoblasts, the cells that make bone. So when you don't have it, osteoblasts don't have any break and they make a lot of bone. So that was, as I said, about fifteen years ago. People start studying how this molecule works, what it's coming from, and then pharmaceutical companies developed an antibody that's a protein that will block this molecule. So they start trials, mice, rats, primates, and then it was approved by the FDA. So now they're giving these antibodies to people and they're people that have bone loss because they're, they're old or they have the postman, pass woman. And even kids with some genetic disease, they can give these antibodies and they make the bone grow more.
0: So it took about 15 years, though, between identifying the structure and to the point that we have a treatment, potentially. So I think that's really important for our audience as well, to understand that this is a time-consuming
1: and expensive endeavor. And there's another example that I think is fascinating, and it's about the parathyroid hormone. So parathyroid hormone, it's produced by uh, glands close to the neck, and they've been known for, I think... 200 years, that the function of this gland is to produce the parathyroid hormone that makes calcium to go out from the bone when the body needs calcium. So one of the main original functions of the bone was to be a, a depository of calcium. When a woman gets pregnant need calcium for the embryo, the calcium will come from the bone. Parathyroid hormone was known because it was removing calcium from the bone. So the idea is what? If you give parathyroid hormone, you will decrease the bone mass. And I think it was in the 1920s that investigators started doing experiments where they took the parathyroid glands from one animal, they make a mesh, and they put it into another animal. What they wanted to know was for sure where the calcium was coming from. They thought it was coming from the bone, but they were not sure. So they published this study where they did that, they figured out that the calcium was coming from the bone, but they have a little sentence on the bottom that says, We know the calcium is coming from the bone. We don't know why there is more bone in these bones. The amount of mineral is increased. So that was 1920s. And because they were using this lysate, the whole tissue, they could not obtain a pure parathyroid hormone. So it took, I think it was until 1970, where they could get purified parathyroid hormone. So the other thing is interesting about this is that there's some people that have hyperactive glands, so they produce a lot of parathyroid hormone. And these people were losing bone mass. So what they discover is that if your parathyroid hormone levels go up in a constant way, you will lose bone. Now, if you give an injection once a day of the parathyroid hormone, you will gain bone. And that's what they did in the experiment with the animals in the 20s, but they couldn't figure out that until the 70s. So parathyroid hormone treatment by daily injections became the first FDA-approved treatment to increase bone mass. So all the other treatments that are around, except now for the anti-sclerosing antibody, what they do, they stop bone loss. So they stop the osteoclast, the cells that remove bone. But parathyroid hormone intermittent parathyroid hormone administration was the first what we call anabolic. It makes more bone.
0: In that example, not only did it take 50 years to get to that point, but you really highlighted that bone is not regulating itself. There's all of these structures in the head and neck that are involved with regulating it as well. So, it's actually a complex series of events that create the bone mass that we have. So, how does your research help address these questions?
1: One of the things I'm interested in is the effect of B-phosphonates, and these are the ones that stop bone loss. So we started studying these drugs 20 years ago, and we found that they were not only stopping bone loss, but they have an effect on the osteoblast and the osteocyte. But because they stop bone loss so potently, that was the main effect. But we could see some beneficial effects on the other arms, on the osteoblast and osteocytes. And through studying how the biphosphonates were doing that in the osteoblast and osteocytes, we found a molecule called Connexin 43. And this is a protein that is made by a lot of cells in the body, but it's very high in osteoblast and osteocytes. So I was studying how biphosphonate works through this molecule Connexin. So I uh, was using cells, what we call in vitro cultures, and looking at proteins that are going up and down or modifications of the proteins. And we found that this molecule, connexin-43, was important for b action. So when we we do uh, research, we start with the cells, but we need to prove that what we're seeing in the cells also happens in the whole organism. It's not just an artifact of just having an isolated cell. So, we generated animals in which we remove connexin 43 That was another complication there because connexin 43 as I said, is expressed everywhere. It's very important for the heart. So, if you remove connexin 43 everywhere, the animals die because the heart doesn't work. So, we have to uh, use a maneuver to remove connexin 43 only from osteoblasts and osteocytes. So, we're proving that in the animals also we phosphonate and need 43 but one thing that Caught our attention in those studies was that just by removing Connexin 43 from the animals without doing anything else, the osteocytes were dying. And the bones were getting bigger from the outside and also from the inside. And this is what happens with aging. So as we become older, our bones will get wider. But what is inside the bone, the bone marrow will get expanded. So the bones were actually thinning the bone part of it. And because of that, they can break easier. So that brought me to the aging field. So we, we think that with the connexin deletion, we have a model of what's happening with aging. And indeed, what we found is that as the mice get older, the levels of this protein in the bone decreases. So we are now, we figure out what part of the connexin was important for that. We don't know what is the stimulus that happens in in the animal that requires connexin to maintain the cells alive. But we have been figuring out what happens after connexin 43 is deleted and what happens in aging.
0: Not only are you trying to explore uh, treatments for this aging bone, but one of the biggest struggles to do that was actually having a model that you could test. And so you have generated this model to allow you to test any treatments or understand
1: the disease process.
0: That's amazing. That's
1: absolutely amazing. A lot of people interested in studying aging and looking at the mice. And so there's some charts that allow you to tell how old, because a mouse lives maybe three years. So how you can compare the age of the mouse with an age of a human. So we were working with 24 month old mice, which are 70 years old person. And, but we have started studying mice that are about 13 to 15, 16 months of age, those are middle-aged mouths. And we already see in bone, and now we are starting to see some muscle, skeletal muscle defects also in this age, like 50-something.
0: And I think many of us have heard that to prepare and stabilize our bones as we age, we have to be aware and active younger.
1: Yes. And then, There's some study that proposed that you get your peak bone mass, so the highest you could ever get in your 20s, and that you have to do exercise when you are a teenager in order to get the best of it. And it's very hard after that. I mean, you can maintain, but you cannot gain more.
0: With this really complex field that sort of affects the whole body, even though we're focused just on bone, what do you wish that the general public or the community knew more about your topic?
1: Well, I think that understanding that bones is not just the support for the body and that protects the soft tissues because I, I've seen that in all textbooks that the function of the bone is to protect the heart and the liver and all your soft tissues. Um, it's Um It's a very active organ and we even believe that it's part of the endocrine system. So this bone produces molecules. One of them is sclerostin. That can go out of the bone and act in the case of sclerostin in the bone marrow. So where you have the cells that will become osteoblasts. So they make them become more osteoblasts, but they produce other molecules. Um, one of them is a fibroblast growth factor 23, FGS 23. And this is a molecule that is produced in bone by the osteocytes, but acts in kidney. And it regulates uh, the mineral functions of of the kidney, so the phosphate levels. Again, there's a lot of studies trying to understand how FGS-23 works. And I think it was last year that it was FDA-approved a treatment to um, correct uh, genetic disease with uh, increases in FGS-23 levels. It's produced by the bone, but affects your kidneys. Other molecules that are known to be produced by bone cells and that can affect other tissues is osteocalcin. And there's several studies that say that this product of the bone cells can affect the pancreas, so it has a role on insulin sensitivity and diabetes, affect the muscle, so the skeletal muscle. There's some studies that showing that may affect some of the functions of the brain.
0: So essentially, what I'm taking away from this is that bones are not only themselves dynamic, but they are actually affecting the whole function of our bodies in multiple different ways that some of it we know and some we're still uncovering.
1: Yes, yes, that's it. definitely a case. And by taking care of your bones, exercising, uh, stimulating what we call mechanical forces that apply to the bone, that will make not just your bone better, but everything else.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: You're welcome. Don't
0: forget to head over to our website, askanatomist.com, for more episodes and links to resources. And follow us on Twitter, so if there's a topic you'd like us to cover, don't hesitate to Ask Anatomist and use the hashtag AnatQ.